Hello, and welcome to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Extraordinary tales from around the globe and throughout history. I'm Dan Benson. Michael Shannon had a routine, and part of that routine was to meet up with a friend on Tuesday mornings and go walking. But this particular Tuesday in March 2011, he wouldn't arrive at the rendezvous. Fate had other plans. Shannon was driving along California's Pacific Coast Highway in his Chevy Suburban. It was a familiar drive, he'd taken the route more times than he cared to remember, and being that it was 5.45am, the traffic could hardly be described as congested. Nonetheless, at that moment, he collided with a semi-trailer. A quote from Shannon, taken from an article in Reader's Digest by Amanda Friedman. I remember the wham and the sound of breaking glass, and then everything stopped. I was sitting still. End quote. After a moment of adjustment, Shannon could smell burning and could feel the area around his feet and calves getting warmer, but when he tried to get out of the vehicle, he realised he was trapped. He was in luck, however. A truck from the Orange County Fire Department containing two paramedics were returning to the firehouse when they were again dispatched. They were already en route to the scene when the call came through. Minutes later, 30-year-old Chris Trokey, a paramedic of eight years, was assessing the scene. He could see the engine fire. It was small, but it wouldn't be for long if something wasn't done. And though the fire was small, that was of little comfort to Michael Shannon, who could feel his joggers beginning to melt onto his feet. But Trokey was able to put out the flames in time, and shortly afterwards, around half an hour, Another team arrived with the jaws of life and Shannon was set free. Trokey talked to Shannon throughout the ordeal and was struck by his calm demeanour. Quote, He wasn't crying. He wasn't yelling. He was saying, Get me out of here. End quote. But it wasn't until Shannon was freed from the wreckage and in the back of the ambulance that Trokey began to realise why this man could keep a level head in a crisis. Trokey was a strapping lad of 190 centimetres and 88 kilos, but that hadn't always been the case. When Chris Trokey was born in June of 1981, he was 10 weeks premature and could fit in the palm of his father's hand, weighing a mere 1.4 kilos. He had a 50-50 chance of surviving. Fortunately, the Trokies were able to find a good paediatrician an affable, casually dressed fellow with shoulder-length hair who went beyond the call of duty to ensure their baby was given the best chance. The paediatrician would stay at the young Chris Trokey's side around the clock, not on one occasion, but two. Around nine weeks after the premature baby was discharged, he was brought back into the hospital with a dangerously high fever, and for 48 hours that paediatrician cared for the baby until he was out of danger. This man Chris Trokey now sat in the back of the ambulance with had the same name, Michael Shannon. And though he was now much older and had short hair, he wondered if it could be the same man. But now wasn't the time to ask. Shannon needed surgery to mend a perforated small intestine and one of his toes was so badly burned it needed to be amputated. Trokey stayed by the bed of Shannon during his admission and eventually asked, quote, Do you remember me at all? You stayed with me when I was really little, end quote. And, of course, you've guessed the answer. After all that build-up, it would be quite deflating to find there was no connection between them. 
Michael Shannon, MD, was indeed the very paediatrician who had saved Chris Trokey's life 30 years previously, and in an extraordinary turn of events, Chris Trokey had now returned the favour. At the time of this recording, the two still meet up once a year on the anniversary of Dr Shannon's accident to catch up and to celebrate their extraordinary connection. When I was a uni student, I did most of my elective subjects in the humanities. My primary reason for this was because it's a bludge. Students of both high school and university quickly learn which classes they can breeze through, especially those like myself who aren't particularly conscientious. But sometimes choosing the easy road can be fortuitous. Such was the case for a 21-year-old student named Harry, who back in 1964 took an acting class with the belief it would be easy and he should be able to achieve a high mark with minimal effort. But Harry discovered that acting was therapeutic. It was helping him overcome his shyness, and the longer he spent in the class, the more he fell in love with it. And that wasn't all. He also fell in love and would ultimately marry one of the other students. But that is another story. In terms of his career, he now wanted to become a thespian, and so after he finished his studying, he married his sweetheart, and they flew to Los Angeles. Like so many others before them, they had the intention of making their mark on Hollywood, and like so many others before them, not much happened. The not much that was happening continued to not happen until 1966, when he was offered a small speaking part in a movie. Shortly after the scene was filmed, he would find himself in the office of a producer for the Columbia Pictures' new talent program to which he belonged, who told him in no uncertain terms that he wasn't made of the right stuff. In the producer's opinion, that tiny speaking part told him everything he needed to know about Harry's acting ability, or lack thereof. There was a brief back and forth where the producer evoked the name of superstar Tony Curtis, saying that his first bit part, as a grocery boy, cemented his future as a superstar. Harry retorted by asking if he was so good, then why didn't we believe he was a grocery boy and not a superstar? His insolence would see him fired from the program. Harry then went to Universal and signed up for the equivalent new talent program, but in a case of history repeating, not much happened there either. And the feedback from the producers, although less bombastic, was very similar to the feedback he had received at Columbia. He had no acting talent. None. Not a cracker. So, he became a carpenter, despite knowing absolutely nothing about carpentry. I can't confirm whether this is myth or fact, but legend has it he could be seen learning on the job, with quite literally a saw in one hand and a carpentry book for beginners in the other. It turned out he was quite bad at carpentry too, but he managed to eke out a living, doing odd jobs for the friends he had made in Hollywood, and becoming known as Carpenter to the Stars. In 1976, he was approached by his friend, casting director and film producer, Fred Ruse, who needed someone to sit in on a group reading. Actors in an upcoming movie were to read their parts together, and one of the actors playing a major character couldn't attend. Essentially, he wasn't trying out for a part. The part was already taken. He would just be a facilitator by reading the part during a group audition. 
After some cajoling, he agreed and turned up at the appointed time. Harry wasn't in the mood for this, and he had long ago given up dreams of stardom. He was a carpenter now, and he had a growing family to support, and so a mildly irritated Harry murmured his way through the lines in a drawl bordering on sarcasm. He didn't want to be there, and he made no attempt to disguise it. The film's director made note of this. It seems that this portrayal was exactly what he had in mind, and Harry suited the character perfectly. And so it was that at the end of that day, the director, the up-and-coming George Lucas, offered Harry the role, the role of Han Solo, in his new film, Star Wars. An extraordinary turn of events for Carpenter-turned-superstar Harry, better known to generations of fans as Harrison. Harrison Ford. been listening to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Created, researched and hosted by me, Dan Benson. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and continue to join me as I uncover extraordinary stories from around the globe and throughout history. Till next time. Peace, love, light. Take care. Catch ya.